0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts?
1: O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.
2: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Casp Media and Soul Pancake.
3: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake.
2: I am one of your hosts, Reza Aslan. I'm another one of your hosts, Rain Wilson.
3: Hey, Rain, you know, I was thinking to myself the other day, uh, You know, I'm like already planning on what am I going to do with all that like gobs and gobs of podcast money that I'm soon going to make.
2: We're going to be in the Joe Rogan territory pretty soon, Reza.
3: Absolutely. I mean, all we got to do is just, you know, talk about how the vaccine is isn't real. And then the money just comes pouring in. I'm thinking about it. I don't know yet. Have you thought about this? What are you going to what are you going to do with all this podcast money?
2: When I get my hundreds of millions of Joe Rogan-esque podcast money coming in from Metaphysical milkshake, the number one podcast in the country. I have I have decided that I am going to eliminate global poverty.
3: Well, that is a very noble enterprise.
2: Yeah. It's pretty simple. I've boiled it down to a couple of things. There's seven billion people in the world, seven and a half billion. I'm gonna buy everyone on the planet their choice, either a jet ski or a Vitamix.
3: I'm sorry, like a jet ski, like the things that you do on, on like water. You know, when
2: you go to like Jamaica, you can get jet ski rides, (laughs) you know, and they have guys out there with like dreadlocks and like rent a jet ski, man. I'm pretty sure you can't eat a jet ski, though, right? You know, you that. can make money from take transporting people on jet skis. You can also make money opening a smoothie stand with a Vitamix. <laughs> the, this it's really pretty simple. It's not as complicated as we think. Ending global poverty. Okay, can we just get real? And you haven't thought about the fact that if you're landlocked or if you don't have
3: electricity, that neither of those things. Just, just I just feel like I feel like we'll work. We'll work that solving out. solving Details. global poverty. Like bravo. Yes, that is a very good. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking there might be better ways than everyone gets a Vitamix. Although I have a Vitamix and it's changed my life.
2: Reza, oh, do you have a better idea, Reza? You've got a better I'm just, idea? I do. Truly, truly, I do not have a
3: better idea, though I'm sure there's one out there. But I have a feeling this is one of those times where maybe an actor is not the person you want to ask about how to solve global poverty. Celebrities know
2: know a lot about what is wrong with the world.
3: By no means am I am I denigrating your your uh, knowledge of of the world by any means. Waiting on a tax
0: return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 18
4: plus. Though I'm thinking maybe there's a better
0: way
3: than Ski News. All right. And uh, who do you suggest we
2: speak to? I have the guy.
3: I have the guy
2: for us. Christian (laughs) Slater? Jennifer Aniston? It's Tom
3: Cruise. It's Tom Cruise. Believe it or not, not a celebrity, though kind of a celebrity. I guess like a
2: nerd celebrity. Jeffrey Sachs.
3: Do you know Jeffrey Sachs?
2: I have heard of Dr. Jeffrey Sachs. He has uh, published many, many books. This is the, if we're going to ask this question, how do we end poverty? Then we're going to ask Jeffrey Sachs that
3: question. He has
2: written hundreds of academic articles and many books, including three New York Times bestsellers The End of Poverty, Commonwealth, and The Price of Civilization, Reawakening American Virtue and Prosperity. But he's got a new book out the ages of globalization, geography, technology, and institutions.
3: And uh, by the way, you know, he's got like 90 jobs. Jeff Sachs does like he's a professor at Columbia. He uh, teaches at the Center for Sustainable Development there. He's the president of the United Nations Sustainable Development Solution Network. He's the guy who basically like uh, did the whole millennium uh, global goals. He like advises, you know, all these different countries, uh, He writes a book every couple of years. He's like BFFs with Bono. Uh, Maybe if there's a guy who knows how to end poverty, I'm not saying your ideas are bad, but they're bad. It's Jeff Sachs.
2: He's also launched a podcast called Book Club with Jeffrey Sachs. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. So welcome to the show. Help us end global poverty. Jeff Sachs. Jeff Sachs, it's so good to see you. Likewise.
3: I mean, oh, my friend Jeff Sachs, as I like to say, I'm friends with a global international economics
2: Dr. Sachs, genius.
3: can I be your
1: friend too No, I want to be your friend too, <laughs> and I'm happy to be Reza's friend. So uh, here we go. <laughs>
2: we'll share him. Can I call you, since a Dr. Sachs is kind of formal, can I call you like Jeffy? Well, Je- Jeff would be just Je-
3: good. Yeah. Only his wife, Sonia, can call him Jeffy. How about Jeffy Weffy?
1: <laughs> well, I went through that phase, but that was a, a few decades okay, ago. Okay, so. fine, All Jeff right. it
3: is. Okay, <laughs> okay, Jeff. So, uh Jeffy Weffy, before we get too deep into this conversation, let's just kind of start by making sure that we understand uh exactly the problem at hand here. So, what exactly is poverty? Like how, how would you define poverty and and how would we measure it before we start talking about what do we do about it?
1: Uh, Poverty is uh, easy to define and understand. It means when you don't have uh, things that you really need for a decent life. And uh, it's a little shocking in our world today, which is a a very rich world on average, that some people don't have uh, safe water to drink. Some people don't have uh, 80 cents to save them uh, from a bout of malaria because that's all it costs. Some people don't have... uh, any chance of going to school because there's no school anywhere around. So these are extreme deprivations, and my my thing is that it's uh, just weird in the 21st century that we still have this. Of course, there was poverty all through human history until we figured out how to do a lot of things better than uh, than we knew at the start. But at this stage in the world, it's just a bit unforgivable that hundreds of millions of people, billion people, two billion, depending on where you draw the line on deprivation, are suffering extraordinary uh, losses and, and uh, inabilities to even survive. And this is kind of still treated as normal in the world. So that, that's uh, what gets me. Uh, that's what uh, also get, gets me going each day because yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do something to, uh, to stop that.
2: In your new book, this Ages of Globalization, which is just fantastic, and we're, we're not specifically speaking, you don't, poverty is definitely addressed in the book, throughout the book, but uh, you have another book about the end of poverty itself, and poverty is the topic of today's conversation. But one of the things you brought up in this book, which was fascinating, was this idea of the Malthusian curse. <laughs> Can you
1: tell us what that is? Well, you know, there was an idea by a a person, uh, Thomas Robert Malthus, who wrote in 1798. uh, Actually quite a a religious uh, guy, but a rather pessimistic uh, guy who said, you know, we are doomed to poverty. Uh, You look at all of human history, uh, people have lived in poverty. And He said there's a reason for that, which is that every time humanity has peaked its head a little bit above poverty, uh, more children have survived uh, their young age, less child mortality. uh, We would say technically Uh, people have more children, the population rises and what looked like a little bit of a cornucopia that we'd have enough, suddenly there are more mouths to feed. And living standards are driven back down to subsistence, to mere survival. So Malthus uh, posed a a puzzle. Uh, He said, how could we ever escape from poverty if every time we make a near escape, uh, we just get population increase and, and that drives us back down to subsistence? And being the pessimist that he was, he said, we shouldn't even try to help because it's
3: what's the point?
1: The unintended consequences yeah. are going to overwhelm us.
3: There is a sense amongst most people in the world, and I and look, I'm just speaking anecdotally here, I don't have any data. Um, I'm not an economist, but I do think that there is a sense that people tend to think of poverty like it's some kind of divinely mandated inevitability, you know, like you, you kind of mentioned it to yourself. Like, look, we've always had, uh, you know, uh, poverty. We've always had uh, people who um, uh, had to deal with, you know, the, the absolute human indignity of not being able to know where their next meal is going to come from. And so I think a lot of people think, well, we've always had that. We always will. So that's yeah. just the reality.
1: I, I think there, there, there really are two uh, questions here. One's a kind of a very practical, uh, empirical question, just a fact question. Uh, what's happening to how many people live in poverty? What's happening to the poverty rate uh, in uh, history? Uh, and and second's a philosophical one that I want to come to in a moment. But one thing I can say pretty surely is that the, the proportion of humanity living in poverty has come down dramatically in the last 200 years. And as best we can see, uh, 200 years ago at the time that Malthus uh, wrote uh, his uh, his treatise, 80 to 90 percent of the world uh, even that's conservative number, maybe 90 to 95%, we would say, oh my God, they're living at the edge of survival. That's subsistence living. And today, while one can discuss a lot about the specifics, it may be 10 to 20% of humanity. In other words, there's been a transformation. Uh, we have uh, poor people in all parts of the world, including in the United States, to be sure. Uh, but the kind of poverty that we have is a is a much lower burden on humanity uh, than in the past. So it's not as if it's always the same generation sure. in, generation sure. out. So that's at a very important point that affects a lot of my own thinking, because, of course, I've studied and pondered that for decades. And uh, I know that progress is possible. But that comes to a, a second point. Uh, philosophical point, also a religious point, which is you can uh, almost divide religious thinkers into the optimists and the pessimists. Uh, And uh, some religious thinkers say religion is about the perfectibility of uh, humanity and uh, we can do better. And God is uh, our our model, our guide, uh, our idea of what perfection is, and we should do better. Uh, so we should make the kingdom of uh, heaven on earth, uh, uh, God's kingdom as a, as a, an earthly possibility, and then other uh, philosophers and, and religious thinkers throughout history have basically said, "We are so screwed. <laughs> We're damned. Uh, original sin, human mm-hmm. uh, mentality makes it impossible for us to sustain right. anything sensible, uh, and don't think about." Uh, the possibility of, of sustained improvement. And in this sense, I think Malthus was not only making very, actually very clever and insightful technical arguments, he was expressing a certain variant of philosophical thought, but putting it into even mathematical terms, I would say he was explaining why pessimism was the right way to go. I'm an optimist, uh, not an unconditional optimist, but I believe that progress is possible, that it's not vanity, that we're not doomed by original sin or uh, even by uh, our semi-craziness, which is undoubted. Uh, But actually, we could figure out how to do certain things. And one of the things I think we could figure out is how to end poverty. But there is definitely you know, an undercurrent of, uh, of, of uh, uh, philosophical optimism mm-hmm. in that view. And I have uh, my share of critics. I think uh, <laughs> maybe they are the predominant side. <laughs> Say, are you crazy? We can't end poverty. Listen.
2: Proper hydration and vitamins can help support a strong immune system because flu season is right around the corner. Okay, so making hydration a priority helps us feel healthier on a day-to-day basis and fuels us to be at our highest potential. Are you trying
3: to say that one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone? Because that's a true statement. It's got as much potassium as a banana. It's
2: healthier than sugary sports drinks. It's got no artificial flavors, no preservatives. It's got less sugar than an apple. Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Their company is donating 4 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV has donated over 11 million servings globally. So grab your favorite Liquid IV flavors nationwide at Walmart or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use your code milkshake at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you get better hydration today using promo code milkshake at liquidiv.com. Folks, if you're carrying
3: a credit balance month after month, it can feel like you're in a never ending cycle of debt. Upstart can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead.
2: Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. So you can pay off your credit cards, consolidate high interest debt. You can fund personal expenses. Over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment.
3: Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score and it's expanding access to affordable credit. And unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, or as Rain calls it, couch change. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan.
2: So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash milkshake. That's upstart.com slash milkshake. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So once again, where are you going to go? Upstart.com slash milkshake. Your thesis of the end of poverty. And when, when did you write that book? It was 2000. in 2005. You had this thesis, which was pretty revolutionary at the time. It was like, hey, guys. Hey, kids. Let's end poverty. That's it. This is this is actually <laughs> endable. It's all we the cool can, kids are doing it. Everybody's doing it. You wrote about how it could be ended in 2025. Obviously, it hasn't been. But um, looking at that prediction in our current world, you know, we've had this pandemic. You know, it's a different, somewhat different political situation now than it was uh, 15 years ago. Um, do you think that prediction is still correct? How would you adjust it now looking back on the on a 15 year view of your of your of your goal?
1: Yeah, l- let me tell you one interesting fact, which is that in 2020, China, uh, even though uh, sometimes we're not allowed to say anything nice about China, but I do <laughs> because I, 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 I uh, have visited China for 41 years, 40 years now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I've watched they ended poverty last year they ended extreme poverty wow. uh, that and that was a remarkable uh, a, a, an absolutely remarkable achievement for a civilization basically because it's 1.4 billion people almost 20% of humanity and back in the 1980s and 1990s depending again on exactly the measurements one uses poverty was 80% of the Chinese population, maybe 70%. Sorry to interrupt, but I remember being a kid of like, it was literally
2: like, eat all your food on your plate. Remember the starving kids yeah, in starving China? kids in China. Or the starving kids in
1: Korea. If someone had said 30 or 40 years ago, China's gonna end poverty and it's gonna do it in the year 2020, it would look as fanciful mm-hmm. as uh, you know maybe this idea that we could end poverty uh, worldwide. Consider the following. We have in the world by the, the latest count, which is kept by uh, Forbes magazine, they publish an issue uh, once a year, the billionaires issue. I'm a, definitely a billionaire's voyeur. I, I want to know who's <laughs> on the list, how many and so on. There are 2,755 billionaires on the list this year. Their combined net worth, their combined wealth of these 2,700 people trillion dollars. Whoa. What the? 13.1 trillion dollars. So think of it. uh, 1% of that 13.1 trillion. So 10% is 1.3 trillion. uh, And uh, 10% of that is 130 billion. So 1% of their net worth is 130 billion dollars. That's basically what you need. To get every kid in school in the world to have health care for everybody, to have safe water sanitation.
2: I feel like this is a this is an ancient argument like tax the rich. And, you know, Thomas Piketty wrote about it in Capital and Karl Marx certainly talked about it. And like, oh, end poverty tax the rich. If only the billionaires would give up half of their billions or whatever. But isn't it a little more complicated than that?
1: What do poor people need now to get out of poverty? Not a lot. They need electricity. They need connectivity and a device so that they can listen to your show because <laughs> what are they going <laughs> to do otherwise? Mm-hmm. We are they huge need, in sub-Saharan Africa. We need the poor to
2: listen to Metaphysical Milkshake and to buy from our sponsors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, there you go. And then they need schools right? and they need mm-hmm. clinics and community health workers. And I spend, uh, you know, I make my living adding up how much all of that costs, and it's it's not a lot. It's just more than poor people can afford on their own.
2: But but and, isn't this? I'm I'm sorry, you're yeah. the, you're the expert. But I've I've been working in Haiti for the last eleven years with my wife, and been down there a couple dozen times, and and I think that, and I have I have witnessed extreme poverty.
1: Yeah. And and by the way, you see it there. That's mm-hmm. for sure.
2: I will never forget the day I saw a woman try to uh, give us her baby. Um, And this wasn't because she loved her baby. The baby was sick and she knew she couldn't take care of it. And she knew that a bunch of white people would probably be in a better position to take care of it. And and it was because she loved the baby that she was trying to give it away. And, um, but I have never experienced anything so heartbreaking in my life. But if you were t- going to try and eradicate poverty in Haiti, and you talk about electricity, connectivity, clinics, schools, um, some of these basic things, it, that's, it seems to me very much easier said than done because you have a government that is so corrupt and so ineffectual
1: Rain, let me tell you a couple stories about uh, Haiti uh, in, in my experience. Uh, one, one is, uh, with, uh, Aristide, uh, president Aristide said to me in, uh, early 2001, uh, they're after me, Jeff, uh, meaning the gringos, uh, meaning us in the United States, it was the Bush administration, uh, and, uh, he said, uh, you got to help because they're freezing. They're freezing any uh, finance from the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank and uh, the IMF. And I said, oh, you know, I'll I'll help you on that. Uh, Went back to Washington. uh, And sure enough, they were just starting. They had the idea, look, this guy's a leftist. We're going to get rid of him. And then one day, Uh, an unmarked plane came, and the American ambassador went to uh, Aristide's house and said, Mr. President, uh, they're going to kill you unless you get on the plane right now. Uh, And uh, in this unmarked plane, an unmarked plane means a CIA plane. uh, They put him on, and 18 hours later, he landed in the middle of Africa. In other words, the CIA launched a coup against uh, Aristide. Okay. Then fast forward, President Preval asked me for help. Uh, first came the hurricane, uh, which wiped out so much of uh, Haiti. Then came the earthquake in 2010. So, oh my God. So I you know, went uh, back and forth and there was no help. Uh, I could go into a long, sad litany uh, of uh, how miserable our government was, and how completely ineffectual uh, the so called international community, which is not much of a community, was, and then came cholera, which was brought inadvertently by u n peacekeeping troops, so they had a cholera epidemic on top of all of this. You know the truth of the matter is no one gives a damn about haiti uh, in the world and we installed dictator after dictator by the United States, from the United States, whether it was Papa Doc or Baby Doc. We we every time anywhere, by the way, in the Americas, there has been a progressive leader uh, for decades. We said, well, we better get rid of that guy because that's uh, dangerous to United Fruit or to somewhere else. So there is so little attempt to roll up our sleeves and say, let's do something for fellow human beings to actually solve this problem okay so there you go yeah, bingo you, this is exactly the
3: point jeff because you're right no one gives a damn about haiti uh and you're
1: absolutely right i mean by the way it, when haiti became independent we did not recognize haiti for the first 60 years in the united states because we were the most racist white supremacist right country and it was precisely. You're going to have a black country ruling itself in the neighborhood of the United States? Hell no.
3: Even more than that, it was the first successful slave revolt. Exactly. Ever. And so we still had slaves. We're like, no, no, no. We're not supporting a slave revolt uh, independence. But this this is the point that I wanted to make. So it's very clear by almost every measurable term, that we have enough uh, on the planet to make sure that people aren't dying of poverty. You make this argument both in, in your work, your your lectures, and in the end of poverty that essentially all it really takes is about less than 1% of uh, the income of the rich world and nobody ever has to die of poverty ever again on the planet. That's as little as it mm. takes. Which then begs the question, well, what the fuck then? Like, what I mean, obviously, yes, there are vested interests, like you said, political and economic interests that are involved in not doing anything about it.
1: What are we doing and how hard it is to get any attention? I'll give you an, an example, by the way, that's quite interesting for me. Recently, the United States has given a loan, of course, and nobody knows, and it's fine. Uh, we gave a loan to uh, uh, a consortium to put up digital connectivity in ethiopia and it's a u.s government loan of several hundred million dollars good okay now why did we do it and it's interesting if i had ever gone to say we should lend ethiopia several hundred million dollars for digital connectivity they said are you out of your mind sacks are you <laughs> completely crazy why would we ever do that america first and uh, and on and on. So why did we do it? Because the Chinese were the competitors for right. this <laughs> yeah, spectrum. So suddenly, mm. because the, what America gets is, if, we're, if, if we need to do something to stay number one in the world, we'll do it. If it's only for poor people, <laughs> Don't be such a stupid sucker.
3: I love this. We should turn it into a competition and then we'll do something about it. No,
1: but that's, that's (laughs) exactly, it seems, you know, as long as we say, oh, if we don't do it, China will do it. Uh, Maybe something will get done. But the idea that, hey, hey, we should do it because, uh, it's the right thing to do when we barely notice it wouldn't really cost us anything. But let's get down to that.
2: I, I heard an amazing TED talk once. I heard it live. I'm sure it's online somewhere. This guy had this great example. There was about eight years ago, there was a little girl who was hit by a motorcycle in China and she was lying on the street bleeding to death. And they had video from a security video, and people were walking around her and driving around her and not paying her any attention. And he showed the video and he talked about the outrage and the international outrage over this incident. And then he brought up very cannily, like, aren't we doing the same thing about poverty? Aren't we doing the same thing about a billion people that are going to bed hungry every night? Isn't that the same as a species? We're walking around the girl lying, bleeding on the sidewalk. Totally. Why is it so difficult for us as a species to kind of to, to dig into, to feel a connection to, and to take active steps in. Is there something in our, in, in our wiring? Is it yeah. some, Is it, is it a cultural thing? Well, in
3: fact, that story that you were telling rain about, you know, being handed a baby in Haiti, it, it made my chest tighten. Just yeah. hearing you tell that story made me want to run away. And I mean, obviously, like I'm not a heartless person. I, you know, I I care about the world and about people, and and I try to do good, and and I and I want to. I, I have you know every desire to to uh, you know help people who are in suffering. But I I'll be perfectly honest that when I'm confronted with that level of suffering and that level of poverty, you I, shut I, off.
2: I shut off. I want to look away. I can't. I don't want to. It's it's like a trauma response. And
3: I think that's a that's a that's a human thing. I think, honestly, if I were to say, why don't we do something about it? Yes, vested interests are involved. Politics are involved. But I do think that there is something about the human condition that makes us sort of turn away and flee from uh, this level of poverty, even though we can we can do something
2: about it. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee.
3: Mushroom coffee? Oh, I don't want mushrooms in my coffee, Rain.
2: Reza, that's not how it works.
3: No, I'm just messing around. Of course, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It's fantastic. I've been starting my day with Four Sigmatic's ground mushroom coffee with lion's mane instead of just like the normal, regular coffee. Absolutely feel an uptick in my
2: productivity every time I drink it. It helps me when I'm writing. So we've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for metaphysical milkshake listeners. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, here's what you're going to do. Reza, tell them.
3: Okay. You're going to go to foursigmatic.com slash milkshake. Now remember, this is an offer that's only available for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners. It's not available on their regular website. So you want to go to Four Sigmatic, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash milkshake and you'll save up to 40% and you're going to get free shipping. So go right now to F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C foursigmatic dot com slash milkshake and fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. And if there's anyone from the Four Sigmatic uh, company listening to this, I'm out of coffee. So if you could just please send me some more, that'd be great.
2: Hey folks, when it comes to saving time and working more efficiently, it's the little things that start adding up and hogging time in your day. Grammarly Premium gives real-time suggestions on your writing so you can get to the next item on your list in record time.
3: It can give you clarity suggestions. So in other words, it can help you get your message across quickly without, you know, repeating or using unnecessary words. It can give you vocab suggestions. So no more searching for synonyms. Grammarly Premium offers suggestions to replace overused words and phrases. If you get the free version of Grammarly, you're at the very least safe from the most embarrassing basic spelling, grammar, and punctuation mistakes, the kind of mistakes that makes me as a teacher just bang my head against my desk. And if you get Grammarly Premium, well, that has advanced time-saving
2: features and it'll help you write more clearly and efficiently. Hit send with confidence and get your point across more effectively with Grammarly Premium. Get 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at grammarly.com slash milkshake. That's 20% off at grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot slash, what is it?
1: milkshake milkshake for for about seven years every time i opened my mouth the word bed net came out because i was on a campaign to uh, get bed nets for uh, people living in malaria zones finally it happened the breakthrough came in 2007 they gave a billion bed nets away malaria came way down And so I went back to the U.S. government and I said, look, it works and and malaria deaths are way down. All we need is another three billion dollars. It's one and a half days of Pentagon spending. You know, (laughs) uh, just let's get this done. So, no, 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 we can't do that. You know, we have a tight budget. Uh, That was during the Obama administration, by the way. So I I don't have an answer to this question. I, I, I think. Maybe the fact that we really can end poverty is sufficiently new in human history because it wasn't true before. Uh, Maybe it's sufficiently new in human history. It just seems so damn stupid and naive to say it could be done. And so it hasn't been internalized. But, you know, my my view is I don't know whether we're going to get to it or not because we make a lot of mistakes as, as human beings. Uh, We do a lot of terrible things and and, uh, I'm not, you know, intrinsically, I'm an optimist in what we can do. I'm not an optimist necessarily that we will do it, but these arguments are actually correct so that uh, they're they're numerical, they're uh, demonstrable, but they hit a wall of skepticism of our politics, of all the things that (laughs) that make our, you know, look at our country, how much more we could be doing, but we can't do anything because we're at each other's throats. It it is a puzzle about human human nature and human understanding. But to my mind, it is not a set of technical arguments. At least for me, I've kind of gone through them upside down, uh, right side up for decades, and I just can't see the technical uh, flaws.
3: Yeah, it's math. It's math and it's, it's solvable. It's just, we have to get, yes, we have to, you know, cut through some of the vested interests that keep us from doing it, like you rightly said. Um, but, but I do think that we have to kind of break through the, the, the psyche of, uh, you know, those of us who live in, in the wealthy world.
1: When you have the personal experience of being in places that need a bit of help, the mystery of this disappears, actually. Uh, and the thing that I've really felt pretty deeply in my life for decades, and it wasn't to be taken, uh, you know, as a self-evident truth. Everywhere I've been, I have felt at home uh, with people, you know, whatever village, whatever religion, whatever race, uh, things that are supposed to be so incredibly consequential, uh, completely different cultures, race, religion. At, at the core, it's so easy to make friends and to see the, the common humanity, to make jokes, to have a good time, uh, to enjoy each other's company. And I think that personal experience definitely affected me a lot uh, because uh, it, it made the it made the emotional hurdle no hurdle at all. You know, it all came down for me to this basic arithmetic and what to do and the technical arguments because there's, I don't feel any of the emotional uh, hurdle that, well, they're so different or why would we help them or it's their own fault. I don't feel any of that uh, sense. And maybe it's because of the just the good luck of, of the personal engagement. So, you know, I hope that people could have more of that direct feeling and uh, more of that direct experience. I think it, it makes a big difference. I
2: I think you're right on that. I think, you know, my wife and I have a nonprofit in Haiti that educates young women and girls. And it's simply, we're teaching girls to read and it's not rocket science. Like just teach hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of, of girls to read, and you will make the, make it better. And it's And really what a pretty. difference it makes, Rain. And, and, and it's, that, and it's that pretty is,
1: cheap and it's pretty easy to do actually. That is the number one investment of all, because if we can get kids healthy enough to get them to learn, they'll figure out the rest. Right. They yep. really will. So yeah. that is absolutely the most empowering single thing to do. Now, in the ages of globalization,
2: you talk us through all of the different ages of humanity, in the industrial age, et cetera, the, there was the ocean age. Now we're moving forward and and we're here in the digital age. And you talk about that that history has an arrow and it is moving towards an end. And there there seems to be kind of like a, you know, a chart of kind of <laughs> Progress and difficulty moving forward. Where is that arrow headed? Where are we going?
1: If you ask yourself, what is what is economic bliss? Okay, that I think is where we're going. Now, for me, if you ask, where is what is economic bliss? It is sitting pretty much all day at a coffee shop in Piazza Navona in Rome, <laughs> okay? So now what I mean by that is, Okay, I will read. I may even Zoom during that period, so a little work, quote unquote. Listen to a podcast. Listen, I've listened many times to this podcast and and uh, and to others, and so the direction that I would like to see the world get to is what I think is the kind of quality of life that people would like, which is time for each other. Time for learning, time for culture, time for leisure, time for fun, uh, time for creative work, time for a care economy, not to have people in factories, in mineshafts, in uh, hard physical work that they don't want to do. And I think that that's what economics should be about, actually, Mm. uh, is the escape not only from poverty, but from drudgery. Uh, and uh, and the chance to have a more fulfilling life. Yeah, And why not?
3: <clears throat> Maybe some listeners are thinking to themselves, yeah, I mean, I absolutely support these kinds of economic policies. I support a global wealth tax. I support, um, you know, uh, opening up trade. I support, you know, uh, doing the things that are necessary to reverse the damage that climate change has had on poorer regions particularly in sub-saharan africa etc all those things i support but they feel sort of outside of my uh, immediate ability to to uh, affect change what would you say the individual, just the normal individual who wakes up and gets a coffee at Starbucks and, you know, and, and a burger at Shake Shack and then comes home and watches, you know, hours and hours of The Office on, is it on Netflix now? <laughs> I don't know. I've never actually watched The Office. I, I hear it's a good show, though. It's um, overrated. What can an individual do in their mind, in their heart, with their wallet to take part in the alleviation of global poverty?
1: Well, look, you know, truly, let's just stay with the United States for one moment. There are plenty of things we should be doing in this country right now to help uh, the one in seven households that don't have enough to eat, Mm. uh, that uh, the so-called SNAP, you know, supplementary nutrition uh, program is not funded adequately. We need uh, help for poor people with child care and so on. This is not an America first argument, to Mm -hmm. be sure. But the reason I'm saying it is that President Biden's proposing a lot of things. And the Republicans right now, to a person, are saying no. 50 to nothing. We have Mitch McConnell saying, literally saying, not uh, kind of hiding. He says, I'm working overtime to make sure this administration fails. That is what we call normal politics. I would send this guy packing that makes a statement like this at that moment, because as Americans, we don't want the uh, minority leader of the Senate working overtime to make sure that the administration fails, because that makes sure that America
3: fails. Jeffrey Sachs, it is time for what we like to call the lightning round here. It's very simple here. We just ask you uh, a, a few kind of big existential questions, and then you have to answer them immediately without thinking. What was the happiest
1: day of your life? I I already told you it's sitting and having coffee in the Piazza (laughs) Navona with my wife, Sonia. So that's it.
2: There you go. Tell us about your most enlightening
1: spiritual experience. That's a little bit different. Yeah. It's probably sitting on a hillside in Ethiopia in a completely impoverished, desperately poor place. I was talking about all the nice things that could happen. And uh, an old man stood up, hunched over in uh, white linens, and came up to uh, came up to a. It was a kind of a bullhorn, uh, threw a car battery uh, as a microphone on the hill, and said, "You're you're the first person that has ever come from the outside to our village uh, to uh, help us." And it was a incredibly moving moment. Mm. Uh, just, it, it was one of those moments where you just felt a human connection that was so incredible and so sp- special and unexpected. Uh, it, it has, uh, really lasted with me. It mm. still makes me tingle. What's
3: one thing, uh, that you would change about yourself if you could?
1: Can I say more time in Piazza Navona? <laughs> so it's. <laughs> what happens to us after we die? Well, I I, I hope that uh, something that we have uh, done will continue to uh, to be good for our children, our families, our neighbors, and the world. Uh, that that's what happens to us is that we have been part of uh, of the human story, uh, mm. and uh, hope hopefully something, uh, something lasts. I, I know that it does from, uh, people who are, uh, and from my parents and, uh, grandparents and so on. So uh, that's what I hope that I can mm-hmm. leave.
3: If you had to be either Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, which one would you be?
1: Well, definitely Jeff Bezos, because I could give away even more money than Bill Gates, <laughs> even, even, even roughly twice as much.
2: <laughs> uh, Jeff Bezos has a yacht that has its own yacht. And it has its own coffee shop on a piazza. Then I'm going. <laughs> what is one skill you wish you had?
1: I, you know, I worked with Bono a little while, I mean, actually for more than a little while. And I kept asking if I couldn't be the fifth member of the band. <sighs> uh, and uh, he plainly detected that I lacked the requisite skills. So that is absolutely the skill that I lack. You could
3: be the tambourine player in the back.
1: <laughs> I'd love I to see that. should have
3: suggested that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you could have lunch with any author, past or present, who would it be and why?
1: I think Aristotle. Questions,
3: you know, little known fact about Aristotle never picked up the check.
1: Wow, well, never would I'd be well, I'd be willing to pick up the check if I could have a good lunch.
2: <laughs> what
1: is one book that has changed your life? The book that I read this year that I found completely overpowering is by W.E.B. Du Bois Black mm-hmm. Reconstruction, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the greatest single book of American history. Wow. Uh, he was a, a genius, but more than being a genius, he was a, a, a an African-American who was fighting the entire academic establishment, which was deeply racist at the time. And he, through his genius in this massive uh, magnum opus, uh, Absolutely upended all of American understanding uh, about uh, the role of uh, African-Americans in U.S. society. And then finally, what is your
3: life's big question?
1: What makes for a good and decent society?
3: Well, Jeffrey Sachs, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, The newest book is The Ages of Globalization, but you are the author of so many other books that we have talked about, including, of course, The End of Poverty. Thank you for enlightening us. This has been a wonderful conversation.
2: Jeffy Weffy, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much. So great to be with you guys. Really appreciate it.
3: I like that Jeff uh, Sachs guy. So many
2: great ideas. You know what I
3: like about him? Like, he was telling that last story, and I think it's true. Like, he... he He's not like an an economist who sits, you know, behind an ivory tower and like, you know, punches numbers into a a calculator, which I assume is what an economist does. I
2: don't know. That's what I always thought they did. I figured
3: that's all they do. This guy, like, you know, he, he goes all over the world. Like, he has met the people that he writes about. He knows their families. He knows their issues and their problems. Like, this is an, obviously, as you can tell, this is an emotional thing for
2: him. So he's walked the walk, you know, and um. He doesn't just have words, you know. He has deeds to back it up.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: His whole goal, being this idea that that really blew my mind, like economic bliss. Yeah, um, the, which is all like hanging out, like um, like the great apes, you know, with a stick picking bugs off of each other, or hanging out in a in a coffee shop in a piazza. What I like is that this idea that, oh, what do
3: people need, uh so that they have economic you know, dignity. And it's like, well, you could talk about things like, well, they need a shelter and they need to be able to like have health. These are obvious things, but like, what does it mean to truly no longer be mired in abject poverty, the ability to pursue economic bliss, which can be anything. it could be like seeing your kids go to a school. Like that could be economic mm. bliss, you know, or mm-hmm. having coffee mm-hmm.
2: at a, at a piazza. Yeah. What's your economic bliss? Hit me. Number
3: one, it's like, not s- stressing about money hmm. which i get is a is an absolute privilege right it's it's a total privilege like i don't i don't want to be like stupid rich i mean i m- what i'm trying to say is my yacht doesn't need its own yacht i can just be happy <laughs> okay. with a <the> yacht <laughs> yeah maybe a dinghy um, <laughs> mm-hmm. i think the this sort of having Felt what it's like to lose sleep because you don't know, will I be able to pay this bill or what happens? Mm -hmm. That, Mm -hmm. like, just my economic bliss is just not having that.
2: Yeah, I'll make a bold statement. Mm -hmm. I'm in my economic bliss. So, my job then is to try and get other people to theirs. You know, I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of saint or something like that, but. You know, I, I'm doing fine. I'm doing. I've got residuals. Uh, I've got savings. Um, I don't want to pass it on to my son. I know this is kind of a revolutionary concept. I <laughs> does, want him. Wait, does Walt know this? Has, is this the first time he's heard well, this?
4: He's like, wait, yeah,
2: Dad. What? Don't please don't let him listen to this podcast. <laughs> okay, if if anyone is with him, um, but uh, you know, I want to give away my money, and uh, mm. and I want that money to go towards as efficiently as possible. Uh, allowing for other people's economic bliss. And through the study that I have done over the decades, that is what my wife and I work on, which is girls' education. Mm. That there is no better way to spark an economy and raise a standard of living than by educating women and girls because they spread what they learn mm. and they um, and they uplift economies. Uh, the studies that have been done around it, I'm not gonna list it right now. You just Google it Um but uh, that's my economic bliss. All right. Well, I'm not going to, I mean, you,
3: you just made me feel like shit now.
2: I win. So, I yeah, win. Thanks. Sorry. But uh, thank you, <laughs> Jeff Sachs, Dr. Jeffy Weffy for diving deep with the Metaphysical Milkshake team. Let's hear from
3: our, what about you, dear listeners? I mean, I'm surely you have your ideas of what economic bliss will be, whether it's, you know, being able to sleep without worry or giving your vast fortune <laughs> to girls around the world like
2: my co-host <laughs> is is going to? Or do you think that that's a realistic goal? Do you, have, do yeah. you debate that idea that we're ever going to have a planet where everyone is living in economic bliss? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Would love to hear from you. So as you all
3: know, not only do we love it when our fans rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it makes us feel good. We have very fragile egos. Rain especially. So needy. But... As we've promised many times on this show, if you rate and review us, if you ask a good enough question, uh, you'll get to meet us. You get to come on the show. And that is exactly what has happened. One of our big fans, Kayla from Virginia, is here joining us on the pod. Hi, Kayla.
5: Hi, guys.
3: God damn it. It's Kayla. This is Kayla.
5: I get Kayla a lot. I also respond to Kyle.
3: You, ha- you have a, que- a life's big question.
5: My big question is, how can humans become closer to each other in this era of great divide and tension? I feel like I've been pondering this a lot because of COVID. And just the type of person I am, I look for life lessons and everything. I um, became really sick when I was in eighth grade with numerous health conditions. And what really helped me kind of be able to mentally cope with all that is to just think about what life lessons the universe or whatever was trying to teach me. And so one of the ways I've been trying to get through COVID and political divide and just the craziness that's going on in our world is to try and evaluate what am I being taught and what are humans being taught time and time again, like what Oprah says about how the universe whispers to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) with life lessons. So yeah, that's my big question.
3: My friend Oprah does say that. That's true.
2: This My neighbor <laughs> Oprah has said that before. <laughs> this is, look, Rain loves this question. You know, I love this question. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw to Reza because we have heard me on this podcast time and time again talk about finding commonality, increasing compassion, seeking ways to heal. Reza, I'm not so sure is on the same page, but <laughs> I'm making a Reza, face. if you were going to answer this I'm question, a face. this is not if you a good were going to answer. How can we become closer to each other in this time of great tension, disunity, and divide? What would you What would you say? I, I don't look, Kyla. She's a freshman. She's just starting her her
3: life as an adult. She's is in college. She's she's bright-eyed, clearly, she's bushy-tailed. She's bright-eyed. She wants <laughs> to hear some hope. The last thing Reza. she wants oh. is for me to like destroy her hope and humanity.
5: It's okay, I can handle it.
3: Here. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the bad version of this and then Rain will give you the good version of it and then you'll feel bit much better about yourself. Sounds good. Number 1, look, I'm all about finding each other's common humanity. I mean, it's kind of what I've dedicated my life to, right? I my entire life has been dedicated to using stories and storytelling in order to break through the walls um that separate us into these False categories of different races or different religions or nationalities or ethnicities, uh, and to and to really reach us where we actually are, you know, as as human beings, and and to get to those things that we hold in common. But that's different to me than the refrain of, "Oh, this country is so politically divided." How do we reach across the aisle and to the other side and bring them um, to us? And my answer is, fuck the other side. (laughs) And I mean that, you know, I'm being, I'm tongue in cheek about it, obviously. But I just think that sometimes that divide is good and necessary. There should be a moral divide, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a moralist. <laughs> like, I believe that there are certain, um, you know, moral absolutes that are non-negotiable. One of those moral ab- absolutes, for me at least, is the dignity of all human beings. And if you are on the other side <laughs> and you are making arguments about how People of a certain color or people of a certain religion or of a certain, you know, sexual orientation um, should not have have access to the same, you know, human dignities as other people. Fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) I am not going to spend half a second of effort reaching out to you. Go fuck yourself as far as I'm concerned. Right? Now, I get that there's a whole mealy middle of people who... Are being inundated with messages from both sides of really this divide. mealy middle. Mealy was I don't know. It just there's something about the alliteration that I enjoyed. I don't know why I said okay. that. Okay. But I get that there's like this mass in the middle that is constantly buffeted by both sides, and and often, you know, responds with with fear and 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 um, and anger and 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 can be swayed, right? And I think that that's what I'm talking about when I say. You know, it is important to try to reach their common humanity. But when I look at the quote unquote other side of the aisle, what I see are people who do not deserve to be reached out to, who who I have no interest in trying to convince them about my humanity. You know, I'm done doing that. So I don't decry the political divide in this country. Good. Good good i'm very happy about the divide in this country and i am very confident about where i stand in this divide now i will let rain give you the the <laughs> loving and
2: huggy version of this answer which i like well, i wish i was I, rain i could <laughs> i could certainly give the lovey huggy version of that but i think i think that way of looking at it is misguided because what it is is it's looking at the divide in the country through a partisan lens so it's and this is kind of where, why I think partisanship itself, partisan politics, the two-party system, especially, although even if you had a six-party system, it would probably break down into two essential factions. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so corrupt because it, um, it polarizes people more and more, and it encourages power grabbing. And we have a system of governance that's based completely on power and control, And some some who have been disempowered certainly need more power. That's that's important. But if power is the end goal, then, you know, you're just going to end up like you are in Nicaragua right now where the leftist regime is locking up all the reporters. I lived there as a child for three years, and we were there uh, right uh, before and during the revolution of the Sandinistas. You'll learn about this in your sociology class, perhaps. And the, the pendulum just swings around because there is a constant grab for power. So I would set sidestep and say what we need to do is set power aside and forget partisan politics. You know, whether or not to, like, work with Mitch McConnell on new legislation about you know, gay rights and blah, 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 this and the border here and police defunding this or whatever. Like, no, I'm not even going to talk about that because that doesn't really interest me. But we have to, as a species, step away from this constant partisan bickering, which is deadlocked our government and is, and here's why it's not huggy, is an, an airy fairy and 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 warm and fuzzy because it's not working. It's not going to work, and it's going to work less and less and less as we go forward. So by all means, Reza, applaud the the, the great partisan divide in this country, but you're going to find more and more things breaking down and not working if we cannot work together. Mm-hmm. So that set aside, it's about, I believe, uh, building coalitions of people Um, no matter what their belief systems, where there is a commonality of mutual love and respect for one another and and each other's humanity and trying to essentially, I don't know, sidestep politics, create a new system of politics, a new system of kind of being in the world that is not so engaged in this kind of corrupt power struggle, which involves the raising of hundreds of millions of dollars and legislators and prognosticators and marketers and public relations managers and whatnot, because that system is just Mm. broken. So if you're engaging in that system, you're engaging in a completely broken way of looking at things.
5: I think oftentimes right now in America, because things are so politicized, just through the media and everything, I think we forget that You know, there are some people on extreme sides of the spectrum who are saying that if you take the vaccine, you know, you'll turn into a crocodile and are just (laughs) promoting like propaganda. So there is that side of it. But I think that we have a lot more moral common ground than we initially, you know, would assume just from looking at like MSNBC versus Fox News or the other new one that's even worse than Fox News (laughs) now. But I think I think that's, very true that we just need to work together towards a goal and just realize that we're going to have to do this so that we can get stuff together and fix things for our future generations. because I'm 18 and I already know I'm going to have to try and fix this mess.
2: The mess we created.
5: Right. Hey, sorry about so.
2: that, by the way, Kyla. Just yeah, just so sorry. I apologize. I think that we need your optimism and can do spirit. Uh, because as soon as you're jaded and cynical, it gets very, very difficult to get things done. So I applaud your big heart and the the place in that heart where this question comes from. So Kyla, thank you so much for being on the show.
5: Thank you, thank Kyla. Thank you so much for having me. I love the show.
2: You can find us at Reza Aslan, at Rain
3: Wilson. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast or on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big questions, who knows? We just might uh, explore them on a future episode.
2: Please remember to follow, rate, and review uh, Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Yep, and you can also
3: subscribe, of course, to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and see that Rain has shaved his beard and he looks weird. looks weird without a beard, man.
2: I feel like a big, weird, like giant baby alien face.
3: Would you like to see Rain Wilson as a giant baby? Well then you're gonna have to subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube page. Easy.
2: That's right. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Thanks for helping us solve global poverty. Good night, <laughs> everybody. See you next week. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music by Jeff Tang. We reach 100,000 subscribers. I will do an episode while wearing a diaper.
0: You heard that here, folks. Make this happen.